Well, I shared with you last week that we were going to have an opportunity to have a baptismal service last Sunday afternoon, and uh, we had that, and what a beautiful occasion it was, beautiful weather. We had an opportunity to uh, baptize uh, five uh, young people, and uh, we got to baptize Miss Drew Johnson, uh, one of our own little ones who made a profession of faith, and what a blessing it was to be a part of that. And this week, we had an opportunity to uh, get ready for back to school. So I'm going to let Josh come and share a little bit about what we did getting our kids ready for back to school. All right. I know everybody hears the word school, and they're like, I don't know about that this year. <laughs> we had a uh, back to school bash for our, our youth kids and for our, our um, littler kids, and during our youth group time, we spent a lot of time on our lesson focusing on lifelines, godly friendships, right? Because when you go back to school, or even in life in general as adults, it doesn't matter what your age is, you want to have godly friendships, people that are willing to step up and say, no, that's wrong, thus saith the Lord. And then we talk about if you don't have those friendships, you should set the standard and be that person. Because that's what Jesus Christ calls every one of us to. And for the little kids, um, they've done this before, but it's always fun to teach them about the armor of God and what that truly means for our life. Putting on the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, taking up the short, uh, short, sword of the spirit, the uh, shield of faith, the shoes of the gospel of peace, all of those things are so important to our life because without them, we cannot stand against the enemy. We never will anyway on our own power, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can. And so... We had a good time. It was a fun time. And uh, we have a short video to kind of recap that for you. So take a look at this. And then we're going to pray for our teachers and students after that.
I know some of those teens looked like they were sleeping, but we were praying. Um, I gave them an opportunity to thank God for the people that God has placed in their life to help direct them, lead them, and guide them back to the Lord. And if they don't have anybody in their life, friend-wise, that they could pray for God to give them somebody or that they would be strengthened and emboldened to be that person. And then the kids there that were destroying those balloons, we were uh, pretending, using our imaginations, those were the flaming darts of the enemy, the lies and the temptations that Satan throws at us each and every day. And we were using the armor of God to destroy those things. Amen? All right, well, what we want to do now is if we have any students or teachers in the house, um, online, uh, in the car, you don't have to stand. Please don't. You might bump your head. But if you are a student and a teacher, we would like for you to stand today, and we would like to pray over you as you get ready to start uh, back to the school year, whatever that looks like for you. So students and teachers, if you're here, stand up. Good. Come on, Georgia. There we go. <laughs> um, listen, folks, this is the next generation. These are the people that are leading and guiding the next generation, and we need to always, continually, ever, constant, be in prayer for them and for the things that they have to endure and deal with, especially in this day and age. So with that said, let's all bow our heads and let's go to the Lord in prayer today. And you pray quietly as I pray out loud for them. Heavenly Father, God, you are king of the universe. You have created all things. You deserve glory, honor, and power because you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. Lord, you created us to bring you glory and worship that you so deserve. Lord, we're living in tumultuous times. We're living in hard times. We're living in difficult times, Lord. And we know that if we look back over the pages of your holy book, the Bible, that not much has changed. The enemy is still trying to steal, kill, and destroy. He's still kind of trying to, to destroy and, and cause people to fall into wickedness and sin and temptation. And Lord, right now, we just come together collectively as a body unified in Christ, the supreme Savior of our souls, and ask now, Lord, that your spirit of power and authority, grace, mercy, and peace and comfort and protection would be upon not only our students, but our teachers. Lord, we don't know what they're facing. We don't know what their summers look like. We don't know what the school year is going to look like, Lord. Everything is uncertain, and it's just a staunch or strong reminder, Lord, that you, God, are sovereign and in control of everything. We need only be faithful and follow you. Lord, the other day I was reading in my morning devotions and Proverbs that you establish our steps. And how then is man to know his way? Lord, the answer is in the question. You establish our steps. Where do we look for the path to walk? We look to your holy word. And with that, Father, I pray now that your spirit of conviction and truth would fall upon the teachers and the students, Lord, that they would seek your face on a daily basis, that they would pray in humility of spirit and truth to the God of the universe to guide them and direct them. I pray your protection upon them, your wisdom and clarity of thought and mind, Lord, that you would just fulfill the teachers with strength, personal convictions, biblical convictions, and that you would continue to provide them protection and guidance. Lord, I pray for our students that you would just strengthen them, Lord. Ease their nerves, their frustrations. Give them peace deep inside their soul, Lord, that surpasses all understanding because this world is turmoil. There is no peace. 
but in the name of Jesus Christ. So God, I pray right now that your protection, your hand would be upon them, that you would keep them from the enemy, that you would build a hedge of protection about them, strengthen them in your word, Father. Mature them in the faith. Give their parents, friends, and teachers the same strength and guidance to continue to help them walk the path of righteousness that you've called us all to. Father, thank you that you love them so much that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die and bleed out for each and every one of them. I pray now, Lord, as a collective body, that your spirit would fall upon your people and that, Lord, you would give some comfort and some consistency and normalcy to the school year as we get ready to return. Thank you again for everything you do for us. Oh, and Lord, for all those that homeschool, for all those that have their kids there and they're leading, training, and raising them up. Lord, I pray for protection, for provision, for wisdom and discernment. And Lord, that you would continue to strengthen those as they seek to raise their children as well. Let us all remember what Paul said in Ephesians 6. We are not to cause our children to frustration or anger. Rather, we're supposed to raise them in a fear and admonition of the Lord. Let us be faithful to that today, Lord, regardless if we're teachers, parents, spiritual parents, friends, family, and let us all glory and honor in you. Thank you, God. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Special music. Uh, as Ron and them are getting ready for special music, uh, I'm glad that uh, uh, we are able to take the time to pray for our students and our staff and Continue to remember them uh, as they go back. Pray a hedge of protection about the, the buildings and that uh, um, the protection over the staff and, and the teachers as well and the, all the support staff as well. All right.
Aren't you glad that we can lean on Jesus no matter what the times are, no matter what the, the struggles of life are, we have someone that we can lean on. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, and for those of you that are at home, go ahead and go find them. They should be there with you. All right. Uh, Colossians chapter 3. I want to just look at one verse of Scripture this morning. Colossians chapter 3. Uh, as you're finding Colossians chapter 3, and we're going to read verse 16 in just a moment, I want to kind of set the stage real quick as to what I want to do this morning. Last week, I started a series called Don't Check Your Brain at the Door, talking about the very reality that it is time for you and I as Christians to realize that we have a brain that God has given us, that we need to use it, that even though the world around us tells us it is foolishness to be a Christian, it is foolishness to have faith, it is stupidity to trust in something, I tell you the truth, my friends, we need to be the thinkers that are leading the way. And so I want to just share with you uh, uh, several things. I, I started this series not really knowing where I was going to go with it, just asking the Lord to reveal. So last week in preparation, I read an article that just upset me. And I decided that that's the direction in which I was going to go. Just a few weeks ago, in Portland, Oregon, where all the protest has been taking place, there was a few folks that decided one night to gather up God's Word along with some flags and decided to pile them in the street and burn them. And I wanted to uh, just talk about today what God has to say about His Word, and what man has to say about His Word. So I want to share with you the importance of the Holy Scripture and why it is important. So if you would, if you've got your Bibles, Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, I want to read this verse, and then I want to share with you uh, from these two things that we find in this verse. So let's stand together as we honor the reading of the Word of the Lord. In Colossians chapter 3, in verse 16, it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. That's the first thing that the Lord tells us. Let the word of God dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Underline that word. The second part of that verse says, Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. That's the second part in which we want to look at as we look at our Scripture today. Father, we ask that, Lord, as we look to the Holy Scriptures today, we've opened its pages, we've read its treasured Word. Lord, now we pray that, Father, that you would move me out of the way and hide me behind the cross. Lord, let your Word speak and let the Word of God remind us why it is the Holy Scriptures and why, O oh Lord, we can lean upon it, we can trust it, we can hold to it, and, Lord, it will never, never fail us. Lord, I ask that you would just be blessed this morning and your people would be challenged to use the brain in which God has given us to be the thinkers that we need to be so that we would not be deceived to and fro, that we would not go with every wind of doctrine, but Father, we would be securely founded in the Word of God and its truth. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you and you may be seated this morning. 
So I want to talk to you about the importance of the Holy Scripture and look at why it is the most controversial book known to man. Now I've got a long introduction that I want to make this morning before I get into it, so sit back, relax, listen, and uh, hopefully I'll be able to paint a picture that will take us on this journey. Um, The Bible has been the anvil upon which many critics have worn out their hammers. Critics claim the Bible is full of forgeries, fiction, unfulfilled prophecies, but the finding of archaeology has collaborated rather than denied the biblical data that we find throughout the entirety of the Scripture. Our faith, which is not dependent upon human knowledge and scientific advancement, has nevertheless presented a magnificent case for the bar of knowledge. How many times have you and I heard someone say, why the Bible contradicts itself? Can we get an amen on that? I've heard it many, many times. People have said to me, well, I can't trust the Bible because it contradicts itself. Well, very few of those who make that statement have used the family Bible other than for just a book press for old faded flowers. In other words, they haven't spent much time reading its pages because they would know that that statement does not hold any water. The first requirement placed upon critics is that they read carefully every chapter of the Bible. They ought also to know something about how we got the Bible and the miracle of its writing, which perhaps maybe next week we'll get into a little bit more. Biblical history is fascinating and makes us appreciate the book that has been preserved unto this day. The Bible has always been the center of controversy. For many centuries, there have been purges and bonfires. There have been Bibles uh, in existence today that were baked into loaves of bread years ago to keep them from the hands of leaders who wanted to destroy the Word of God. There are Bibles in in scores of languages. Organizations today are still working around the clock to provide Bible portions for remote tribes so that they too will have the Word of God in their own language. No book in human history has suffered more from suppression and the attempt to destroy it than that of the Bible. Evil men hate it because it is the essential goodness. It is the advocate's The rights of individuals claiming that even the humblest and lowliest of society is of the utmost value to God. Its contents have always been and will forever remain a rebuke and uh, an irritant to the tyrannical. Over the years and again throughout the centuries, there have been efforts to get rid of this book called the Bible. Roman emperors years ago decreed that along with the early church um, and its sacred writings, the scripture should be hunted down and torched. Later came the nefarious uh, forces from within inside the church itself that bitterly opposed every effort to translate the Bible into the common language that you and I have today to make it readily available to the masses to read. The worst of the opposition, unfortunately, came from religious leaders. Then, um, 
And thank God for the courageous men like that of John Wycliffe, the English scholar and theologian, whose purpose was to translate the Bible and to get it into the hands of everyone possible. He was so despised for his work and his love of the Bible that even after his own death, his body was exhumed and burned. William Tyndale, another one, who was also well known for his translation of the Bible from its original language, was the object of much disdain. He was tried and tied to a stake and strangled with a rope and then burned. The Bishop of London had ordered that every copy of Wycliffe's translation be collected and burned. Nevertheless, the scripture and Wycliffe's translation for the uh, commoners survived and would be immortalized in what we call today the King James Bible. Now, if we go to another book about martyrs, Fox's book on martyrs tells the story of seemingly exhausted numbers of people who gave their lives at time when even the possession of the Holy Writ was a crime. Yet despite the persecutions and the Bible burning that went on in those days, this sacred book still survives. In more recent years, at least until Portland, the attack of the Bible was less direct and more of an effort to discredit its content. There has been an assault on its history, claims that it's anti-science and full of myths and fables. But respectedly um, contradicted over time and repeatedly contrary to the claims of those so-called experts and scientists science itself has proven the Bible's claims and science has never once successfully disproven any of the Bible's theories the Bible burners in Portland had no concept of the frutality to which they set their hands to when they literally and symbolically struck a match to its pages. So what I'm asking you to do this morning with me in the next few moments is to turn on your brain and to think. And let's use the brain that God has given us to see why this book is and has been and always will be Holy Scripture. So would you go with me as we look at what the scripture says? Again, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16. The first thing that I want you to see is what the word of God is. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16, we get two views here. First of all, we get God's view of his word. God's view of his word. It says, let the word of God or of Christ dwell in you richly. Notice that God communicates with us, which is normally referred to as the Word of God, is described here as the Word of Christ. That phrase is only used here in one other place in the entirety of the New Testament. But it reminds us of the very important truth that the whole Bible is one story. From beginning to end, it is the story about Jesus Christ. Jesus said to the Pharisees, The scriptures bear witness about me. In John chapter 5, verse 39. Now, on the road to Demaeus, 
You remember on that road to Emmaus when Jesus took those two confused disciples on a journey through Scripture. The Bible says that He walked with them and talked with them. He took them on a journey through the Old Testament to describe who Jesus Christ was and what He had come to do and what He was going to continue to do through them. And in Luke, we're reminded that in all the Scriptures, the things were concerning Himself. Jesus Christ is the central figure of the whole Bible in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now in the Old Testament, He is the hidden and anticipated one. In the New Testament, He is the revealed and enjoyed one. The whole point of the Bible is that we should come to know and enjoy and love and serve and believe and live for Jesus Christ, the Son of God who is the Savior and the Lord of all who put their faith and trust in Him. This is the great theme in Colossians. Take a journey with me, if you would. Flip back, if you would, to chapter 2. In chapter 2, in verse 15, we find that in Him is all the fullness of God was pleased to... Oh, sorry, that's 119, to dwell in Him. And then in 2.15, in Him, God has triumphed over the dark powers. And then further on, in, er, further back in chapter 2, verse 7, in Him, believers are rooted and built up and established in the faith. The Word of Christ, the Bible, is God speaking to us about His Son. Or God speaking to us through His Son. Now, the first view that we get from uh, uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, is that the Word of Christ is come to us, and that is God speaking to us. Now I want to look at man's view of the Word. You see, when we look at it from God's perspective, there's a different perspective than what man looks at when it sees the Word of God. Did you know that the Christian church had been in agreement for nearly 2,000 years that the Bible was and is the Word of God? One that speaks primarily of the Son, Jesus Christ? Now, I say nearly 2,000 years simply because about 100 years ago, there was a um, few folks who introduced a new and very different view of the Bible. I'm speaking of the time when Charles Darwin grasped the minds of the hearts of many people with his theory of evolution. And might I just remind you that it is a theory of evolution. Suggesting that the world could be explained entirely by natural causes and processes. It's fascinating to follow the story of how in the years that followed, some leaders in the church began to recast their view of the Bible in light of evolutionary theories. No longer was God the creator, but God was the watcher of all that took place. It seems as though that they were rewriting the seven days of creation into millions and billions of years. I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about men who stood behind this sacred desk with this sacred book, changing how they viewed what it said. And over the years church 
had always held the conviction that the Bible was God's word to us. The church believed that God existed and that God had made himself known and that the Bible tells us what God has said to us and what he has done for us. The Bible is essentially a story about God, God's world, God's word to mankind. But when Darwin came along and changed the thinking of man, man began to change their thinking of the Bible. And the new thinking turned all that on its head. You can imagine how some begin to say, we've been told the story is all about God. But what if the story is really all about us? If this were true, the Bible would be evolving story of human thinking about what God might be like. And the Bible would not be God's word to us, but it would be our recorded words about God and how we've come to know Him. If we are to believe this, then it is reasonable to conclude that it began very crude and over time. Our view of God has become more sophisticated as time has gone on. There are two very different views of the Bible today. And the one, the Bible is God's word to us. And the other, man's view, is the Bible is our word about God. What you believe about the Bible will shape how you use it, how you respond to it. If you believe the Bible is a human word about God, you may read it for inspiration, but when it doesn't feel right or fit well, you may view your life uh, uh, from the world's perspective, you will feel free to walk away and disagree and choose your own path of life. If, however, the Bible is merely a collection of human words about God, it will, be a, it will be natural for us to say, that was then, but this is now. It may have been true then, but it may not be true now. If the Bible is merely a collection of human words about God, it is not something that we can depend upon. But church... For those of you that are here, those of you that are sitting in the parking lot, and those that you are watching at home, let it be heard. Listen to my words. I believe, this church believes, that the Word of God is God's Word to us. We believe that God has spoken in the Scriptures, both the Old and the New Testament, through the words of human authors. As verbally inspired word of God, the Bible is without error in its original writing. The complete revelation of His will for salvation. The ultimate authority by which every realm of human knowledge and endeavor should be judged. Therefore, it is to be believed and it is to be taught and obeyed in all that is required and trusted in all that is promised. Can I get an amen? It is the word of God to us, not our word about Him. It is the eternal word of God. The world may not agree, but this book has said it so. And therefore it is. So let me ask the question in the second part of Colossians 3 and verse 16 
comes a question to my mind. Why the Word of God matters? Why should it matter to you or to me? Why should it matter to the world around us, whether or not that this is God's Word speaking to us or our Word speaking about God? Paul, writing here in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16, says, In all wisdom, teaching and admonishing. In wisdom. My friends, wisdom comes from knowledge. Knowledge comes from God. We talked about that last week. All knowledge comes from God, which comes from His Word. And my friends, we need to recognize the importance of the Word of God. Why is this important? What difference does it make? Why should anyone care whether the Bible is speaking about God or, God spe- or us speaking about God? It makes all the difference in the world. Let me give you just a few reasons why. First, if God has not spoken, His promises are replaced by our wishes. Did you hear what I said? If God has not spoken in these promises that are found in the Scripture, they are not promises that we can count on. They are wishes that we can hope for. Think about some of the great promises of Scripture with me this morning. The promise that is found in Hebrew chapter 13 and verse 5. I will never leave you nor forsake you. We need that today. I need that promise. It can't be a wish. It has to be something that I stand upon every day. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. It's got to be a promise from God. Or it's simply a wish that I hope that one day I will make it to heaven. I cannot stand and tell people that there is hope in Jesus if I do not believe the promise of God. My God will supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory. It's not a wish that God will come through. It is a promise, my friends. But let's look at who said these things. As we look at whether or not that we need to consider them as a promise from God or a wish upon man, let's look at who wrote these things. And these words come from the mouth of God. If God said them, then they are indeed the word of God to us then they are promises on which you and I can depend upon. Promises that you and I can build our lives upon. You can build on them in every circumstance, in every situation of life. But, if they are simply human words about God, then they are not promises on which you can depend, but merely wishes arrive from the heart of Paul and Isaiah and others. Now they may have been words that they spoke that we cherish today. But if they are just words spoken by man, they are nothing more than wishes. If you believe that the Bible is our word about God rather than God's word to us, you undermine the foundation and the hope and replace God's promises with simple wishes for God. You weaken the word of God from the will of God all the way down to the wish of man. The second thing that we see is that if God has not spoken, His truth is replaced by our opinion. 
My friend, if God has not spoken it, our truth, the truth that we find in Scripture is replaced by yours and my opinion. The Bible says that God is gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in love. These words are repeated no less than seven times throughout the Old Testament. But those words, uh, but those words are these. Or whose words are these, sorry? If God has spoken these words, then they are, uh, they are words that we can depend upon. They are words to Moses and to the prophets that we can be sure that our, He has spoken indeed. That He is gracious, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in love because He is the one who said it about Himself. He has disclosed this so that we might know Him. But if these words are simply thoughts of Moses, David, Nehemiah, Jonah, and others, and we do not have truth that we can count on for our lives today. All we have is the opinions that have arose from the experience of some men long, long ago. That if tried and tested may not prove out to be so today. When you buy into the evolutionary theory, conversations in small groups around the Word of God go something like this. Moses believed that God is gracious and merciful, but others have a different experience. What about you? What do you think God is like? How do you see Him? How does He fit your narrative? When the Word of God is viewed as our word about God, not only do the promises become wishes and we undermine the very foundation of hope, but His truth gets replaced with simple opinion. And that undermines the foundation of our faith today. The third thing that I want you to hear is that if God has not spoken, His welcome is replaced by our journey. God has said that He is calling all who will come unto Him. He is seeking those that are lost. He is calling us out of darkness into His marvelous light. And said, He who puts their faith in Me shall have everlasting life. If God has not spoken these promises, if God has not spoken these truths, if God has not spoken His Word, then we're just simply on a journey that we don't even know where it's going. See, the Bible tells us that God has filled its Scripture with invitations for us. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live, and I will make you an everlasting covenant, Isaiah. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you, James. Come, let us reason together, says the Lord, through your, though your sins be like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow, Isaiah. But again, who said these words? If they are man's opinion about God, if the man's ideas spoken about God, or if God has spoken unto us, if God said them to and through the prophet Isaiah and the apostle James, then you can be certain that God is reaching out to you and I in love this morning, saying, come unto me, draw near unto me, and I will draw near unto you. That means that we can come 
to Him in confidence that He is drawing us to Himself. We can enjoy a true and authentic relationship with God because He has invited us to come to Him. However, if those words are simply the words and reflections and thoughts and experiences of James and Isaiah, they are only pointers to a journey taken by man. They tell us what others have found, but there is no assurance that we will find the same thing along life's journey. If the Bible is viewed as God's, or our words about God rather than God's word to us, we may have people reaching out and seeking after God, but very, very few of them ever finding their way to God. Why? Because what is lost is God's reaching out in love through His Son, Jesus Christ, to a lost and dying world. And all we have left are people seeking where the journey of life is going to take them. I'm here to tell you today, I am glad that I know where my journey of life has taken me because of Jesus Christ and God's holy word. In John chapter 14, I'm reminded that in my Father's house, Jesus said, are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you, but I go and prepare a place for you. I take that personal, that He has prepared a place for me because He has called me out of my sin, out of my failures, out of myself into Him. And therefore, He has given me hope. And that hope is found in nothing less than the words that are found between the covers of this book. They are holy scriptures. And we need to understand that that God's word is to be cherished. It is to be read. It is to be lived. Because it is not yours and my opinion about God, but it is God's holy word about himself. Revealing unto us who He is, who we are, and how we become one with Him. So let me close by asking another question for you to think at. What's at stake? What's at stake? What is the real deal about whether or not we believe God's Word to be a word about Him or a word about us? If the Bible is our word about God rather than God's word about us, the promises are replaced with wishes and we lose the basis of hope. God's truth is replaced by our simple opinion and we lose the foundation of our faith. God's welcome is replaced by a journey that we know not where it goes and we lose the assurance of His love and salvation. Do you see how much is at stake here, my friends? It's time that we use our brains to know that God has given us this book. Not to change its words or its contents, but to live it and to believe it. The basis of our faith, hope, and love all rest on God having spoken, giving us promises, telling us that who He is, inviting us into a relationship with Him through Jesus Christ, telling us how that it is possible through the Son that we might live eternally.
when I think about all this, it makes me step back for a moment and breathe a sigh of relief and thank God for the Word of Christ. Hope of everlasting life. My friends, I want you to know that you can trust this book. For this book is God's holy word. It is holy scripture. It comes from the heart of God and from the lips of God to you. God has promised salvation to all who put their faith in His finished work on Calvary's cross. If you've never put your faith in Christ because you didn't think that the Bible was worth following, today is a day for you to trust that God has spoken to you. That He is inviting you out of your sin and out of your darkness into His marvelous light. It is an opportunity for you to come to know that sin can be forgiven. Heaven is promised. An abundant life is yours to live today. God has promised to all who put their faith in Him that He will not. No, never will He leave us nor forsake us. But He will take us through the journey called life. And He will usher us into His Father's house to where He has prepared a place for all who put their trust in Him. With every head bowed and every eye closed, both here in the room, those at home, and those in the car, I want to just share with you today that If you're here in the room today, in just a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to come to the altar to do business with the Lord, whatever it is that you must do. But for those of you that are in the car, I'm asking you to take this time just to reflect upon your own heart. Seek the face of God. For those of you that are at home and watching, this is an opportunity for you just to bow before the Lord. Take a few moments. Put your heart in His hands. For those of you that are watching online, I want to remind our online viewers, before we conclude, if you have responded to God's call, or if we can help you in your walk with Christ, please do not hesitate to contact us. The contact information is there on the screen for you. I want to pray as you're praying this morning before I invite you to come to the altar this morning. Father, the skeptics say that we cannot trust what you have given to us called the Bible. But Lord, the truth is that every word is a word that has been given from God. A word that is about you. A word that upholds you. A word that reminds us of our fallen nature and your forgiving spirit. A word that shows us, O Lord, how that we can have a relationship with you. So Father, if there are those that are listening to my voice, 
who have never given their hearts and lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, would you lead them as they pray? Lord, the simple sinner's prayer is, Lord, I have confessed today that I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I believe that Jesus Christ is the righteous virgin birth, born Son of God who lived a sinless life, died a sinless death, took upon himself the sins of all the world, mine included. That he was buried. Three days later, he rose again so that I could have newness of life. Lord, I ask that you would come into my heart. Forgive me of all my sins and help me to become the child of God that you want me to be. Walk with me daily. Teach me from your holy word. And let me live for you for all of eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have prayed that prayer here or at home, that is a simple prayer that God receives you into his family. And we want to know about that. We want to know whether or not God is touching your life through His Holy Word. I want to thank those that are online and those that are listening. Thank you for worshiping with us today. We are so glad that you were able to come and join us as we worship together today. For those of you that are here in the room, would you just stand for just a moment?